You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 272, Brian Sexton and being prepared to serve, sometimes encouraging is serving. Hey friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. You downloaded the episode and you're listening or maybe you're streaming, who knows. Uh, But thanks for doing that. I know that there are a lot of podcasts out there. I say this all the time. There's 2 million podcasts. Maybe there's 400,000 active podcasts, but you got a lot to choose from. That's the point. And uh, you found halfway there. Our goal is to really encourage you to let you know that no matter how, uh, where you are on the journey, it's longer, deeper, and wider than you've been told if you're following the Lord. So uh, really important. Do me a favor. If you are encouraged by this episode, and I know you will be, uh, share it with a friend. Shoot a text. uh, Send something in Spotify. Whatever works for you, wherever you're listening. uh, That would mean the world to me. Helps us find new people to encourage every single episode. Uh, okay, guys, speaking of encouragement, uh, our guest today, he is the host of the International Encourager podcast, and he's also an author of a book called People Buy from People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. Our guest is Brian Sexton. Brian, welcome to Halfway There. Eric Nevins, what a great opportunity it is to be with you today, man. I, I am beyond excited and honored to be here. Thank well, you, my friend. Well, I'm excited to, to have you. And by the way, friends, Brian recently had me on his podcast, The Intentional Encourager. You're in the app. Just flip over. You can listen to that. Get to hear a little more of my story if that interests you. Yeah. Um, and, certainly- and you really should because it was powerful. And I said this to you before we got started. Man, you really... There was more content in, in those... I think we went like 55 minutes. Yeah. There was so many more places we could have gone and we will, we'll go, we'll, we'll dive into some more of those things at a later date. But, but yeah, I, I encourage you. Um, Eric went deep on a lot of things and I, I'm Eric, I'm grateful for, for how you approach that. Well, you are certainly welcome. It's my pleasure. I love podcasting as you can imagine. And so just the chance to share a little bit was, was uh, always, is always my pleasure. I want to hear about you though. So this is halfway there. We're going to hear about your story and really your journey with the Lord and kind of where, how he has been kind of working in your life. And as I always say, how your story is part of his story. Uh, what I don't know is where you grew up. Where, where are you from? Yes. I grew up in a little town called South Point, Ohio. It's the southernmost point in the state of Ohio. Um, Southern Ohio. So, so for a little bit of context, if you're listening to this podcast, I am a huge football fan. I'm a rabid football fan. Um, if if I could show you, if I could pan my studio slash office, you would see Cincinnati Bengals stuff around here. I'm oh, a no. huge, I'm a huge <laughs> Bengals fan. Um, the night of the draft last year, you saw a shirt that Joe Burrow wore. He was the number one pick of the Bengals. He wore a 740 shirt. That's the area code that that I grew up in. There you go. Um, Joe Burrow's from about an hour and a half away from here. And so I grew up in Southern Ohio. Um, but when, when I was a kid, we moved around a little bit. So um, I started 
elementary school in a little town called Belpre, Ohio, which is right across the river from Parkersburg, West Virginia, about two hours from here. Um, and then my family, which is from here, moved back here. I graduated high school in 1990 and then I went to Marshall University. So if you've seen the movie, We Are Marshall, that's school I went oh, to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I tell people I, I got to watch a couple guys named Chad Pennington and Randy Moss play <laughs> play football in in college. Nothing and, wrong with but that. I was already I was already done. Well, Randy Moss, it, it was a I tell people it was like it was a toddler, it was a man among toddlers watching him play college football. Wow. But um but that's where I went to school, got a got a degree in marketing from Marshall University. And um so that's where I grew up in that in that Huntington, West Virginia, South Point, Ohio area. And uh, how I ended up over here in a little town called Barbersville, West Virginia, was 25 years ago Monday, as we're recording. My 25th wedding anniversary was a couple of days ago. So, oh, yeah. Congratulations. Um, I married a girl. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I married a girl from here and moved 30 minutes this way. Where we live, Eric, is, you know, it, West Virginia – Western West Virginia, Southern Ohio, and Northeastern Kentucky all mm, yeah. butt into each other. So it's called the tri-state area. So um, I can go about 25 minutes and I can be in my hometown. I can go another five, seven minutes and I can be in Ashland, Kentucky. Okay. Where, I'll tell you this, do you know who's from Ashland, Kentucky? No. There's a There are famous people from Ashland, Kentucky, 30 minutes from here. One is a guy named Chuck Woolery. Remember, remember oh, yeah. the newlywed. You remember, remember Chuck Woolery used yeah. to be on. He was the original host of Wheel of Fortune, and then um, he did the uh, the dating game where you go, "We'll be back in two and two. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So Chuck Chuck Woolery's from Ashland, Kentucky. Um, the Judge. Remember the country music group, The Judge. Yeah, sure. Back in the eighties and nineties, yeah, the Judge are from Ashland, Kentucky. But there's one other guy that's from Ashland, Kentucky. A guy named Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh no, Ashland, Kentucky. Yeah, he's from All a right. town called Flatwoods. It's a neighboring, it's a neighboring town. So that's amazing. Um, now I'll tell you this. One, one, just just as disclose, disclosure yeah. here, if you start singing "Nike Break Your Heart," this interview's over. Just FYI. <laughs> I no, okay. there's no way. There is no way that I'm no. There is no possible chance we can do that. But you know, it, it, this this area is really cool because, um. And I'll say this, not far from where I live is the hometown of General Chuck Yeager, who broke the sound barrier. Oh, yeah. General sure. Yeager passed away here last year. And, you know, taking some back roads in about 25 minutes or so, you can be in the little town that, that General Chuck Yeager is from. Um, Jerry West, the logo of the NBA is from Cabin Creek, which is about an hour from here. So, you know, there's a lot there, you know, people don't understand the impact that West Virginia and this region, mm -hmm. this tri-state region has had on the, on the, on the country and, the, and on the world. So I, I'm very proud. And, and Eric, I'll say this, I don't mean to give a long-winded answer. The, no, the, the little town I grew up in, the little town I grew up in is a little town called Burlington, Ohio. People can, can Google this. Burlington, Ohio was actually founded by slaves. There were 37 slaves that swam the Ohio River from, from wow. West Virginia, which in the 1830s and 18... Well, was earlier Virginia, than that, yeah. was still Virginia, a slave state. They swam across the river to Ohio, a free state, and they settled in the little town of Burlington, Ohio. Wow. 
And I share this with you. A couple, a couple years ago, I have a good friend of mine. He was a year ahead of me in high school. He led an, an NAAC bus, NAACP bus trip. And my wife and I and son, we decided to go. I didn't realize the impact of this community on what would later be the Emancipation Proclamation. Wow. I had no idea. I grew up in this little town, but had no idea of its impact. So we're going to this cemetery, Eric, and it's the thir- they call it the 37 Cemetery. It's where the original founders, settlers of the town, were buried. It didn't strike me until I was walking by a grave of a classmate, a guy I graduated with named Marcel Linthicum, who was the victim of a murder-suicide. That got me. Mm, wow. Because it was personal. And I brought my son, my nineteen, my then 19-year-old son over there, and I said, let me tell you about this guy here. I can't tell you about these other people. This guy I can tell you about. And that's when it became personal to me. And so, yeah, that's it shaped the man. I didn't realize, Eric, how my upbringing and where I grew up helped shape the man that I am today. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah, really fascinating, all of that. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I, I have a, I have another story, but it doesn't Sorry really to be so long-winded you. there. Now, you know what? You, you, the story about slaves in Virginia was always interests me because, uh, like, I, one thing I do is I study um, the, the U.S. presidents and mm-hmm. George Washington. This is what changed kind of for me. I know a lot of people are like, particularly Christians. I don't know why. Yeah, maybe there's reasons, but yeah, get a little uptight about issues like that. When I realized, I read a biography of George Washington, and I realized uh, he would, he, when he was president, the Capitol was in Philadelphia, right? He was yeah. from Virginia. But he, when he would go, Philadelphia or Pennsylvania had a law that said it was a free state. So if a slave was there for six months or more, they could declare their... Uh, freedom yeah and leave and so how did george washington handle that he was mortified by that by that rule he rotated his slaves in and out every five months so they wow so they can is that crazy it is crazy so when when you hear a story like that like look you you know you and i i I can't imagine anything i'd swim across a river for right but when you hear a story about 37 slaves who swam across across the river to found a town to be free, it kind of stories like that can put, put it into perspective and to help us remember like, Oh my goodness, this, yeah, this it's injustice. And it's, it's well, like, Eric, think about the links that people will go for freedom. It doesn't matter yeah. where And let me, let me put it in this context. Soldiers will willingly, will willingly leave their families travel anywhere in the world to defend freedom. And and I have a huge respect for our American military, a huge respect. People who want to be delivered and set free from addiction will go just about anywhere and do just about anything if they're desperate enough to get set free. And of course, we know that the Lord can set anybody free. Look at the man in the scripture. I I think about the the Gadarean man who was full of devils, who realized 
if I could get in the presence of Jesus, I can be set free. This man had 10,000, over 10,000 devils living within him. Because when, when Jesus spoke to the devils, the first thing he said is, what is your name? They knew his name because he was the king of kings and lord of lords, but he wanted to know their name. And they said, we are legion, we're many. It didn't matter to Jesus. But the Gadarean man, think about this, as possessed as he was, he was smart enough to realize that he could go to the one person that could set him free. Yeah. That's what that's how powerful freedom really is. Yeah, and I think sometimes we take that for granted. Um certainly certainly some of us do. So okay, that's a great segue though, to to move into your story and to hear a little more about you. So you grew up in this area, maybe you're kind yeah. of around different places, but this is where you call home. Uh was it a Christian family or what was that what was that like? Very much so. Um from the time I was so let me start at the beginning. Let me let me tell you, let me tell you the real story. Okay. I was born August 13th, 1972 in Huntington, West Virginia. My parents, my my parents, my I was born on a Sunday, but I wasn't your typical baby. And I wasn't your typical baby because I stayed up about all night. Newborn baby. I mean, you've got kids. I've got kids. Newborn sleep. I mean, it's what they do. Yeah. I was wide awake. And, and, and the, the doctors and nurses couldn't figure out why I was wide awake. They did some investigating and found a blister on my, I believe it was my left lung. They found a blister. And they weren't real sure what to do with it. They weren't sure, okay, is it a hole? Is it a blister? What, what's caught, what caused this? But for some reason, me staying awake triggered them to, to probe a little deeper. But my dad, my dad was 19 and my mom was 17. My parents married young. Mm, wow. But my dad did something that would shape the rest of my life. My dad called people who knew how to pray got his church involved and they were praying and my mom tells me the story she was at home I was still at the hospital it was the following Sunday my dad was at church they began to pray and my mom said all of a sudden the phone rang and it was the hospital and they said, Mrs. Sexton, when can you come and get your son? My mom said, what's going on? She said, that blister that was there is gone. You need to come and get your son to take him home. There's no need for him to be here. So I knew from, from the first week I was on the planet, <laughs> I found out the healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. And so my life has been shaped. So, so the next week, my, my parents dedicated me to the Lord. My last name, Eric, means something significant. If you look up the word sexton in the dictionary, it means the caretaker of a church. So in England, a sexton would take care of the church. They would do the janitorial work. They would ring the bell. They would, they would prepare things. For the, for, the, for the Sunday service. So my whole life has been spent 
in the in the service of the of the church. I sang for the first time in church when I was three. I I've been playing music in my church in some form or fashion, full or part time, since I was about 16, 15 or sixteen. And so my life and my you know you asked me if I grew up in a Christian family, yeah. My whole my whole world has been shaped by the church. Yeah. I gave my heart to the Lord when I was nine. And, and so, you know, I had now, have I always been serving the Lord at the foot? No, absolutely not. But my whole life has been around the church and the work of God and the, and, and being involved. Uh, and in my forties was when God called me to preach. And so I I've done some preaching. I've done teaching. I've played music I've served in, a, in a, an administrative role, helping my pastor, launching greeting and support ministries in our church, helping in men's ministry. I've had my hands in a lot of different things. So I'm grateful that God has given me the ability to have my hands in a lot of different things because it taught me how to really make an impact in the local church and and, and be involved. Yeah. So tell me, how did your faith then become your own as you were kind of growing up and kind of in this environment? Obviously, your parents were people of prayer and, and faithfulness. And, you know, they, they, I'm sure, were taking you to church and doing all the things. But how did that start to become yours? How did you start to become aware of God's presence in your life? Because I had a dad that told me the truth. He said, listen, you can't go to heaven on my experience. Yeah. And and I knew that very early in my teenage years. I knew very early in my teenage years that if I was going to go to heaven, it was going to be on me. It wasn't going to be on my dad. It wasn't going to be on my mom. And my dad, the last three and a half years of his life, Eric, was a pastor. He came to pastoring and preaching very late in his life, in his late 50s. I always had a dad. My dad, the beautiful thing about what the Lord did in giving me the dad that he gave me, my dad put me in uncomfortable situations, but my dad had incredible confidence in me. So my dad would say to me, uh, and, and here's, here's how I started playing music in church. We needed a bass player in our church. My, my, my legally blind uncle was our piano player. <laughs> and my cousin who was marrying into the family was our drummer. And my dad said, we're missing something. He said, we need a bass player. And I said, I can't play bass. He said, yeah, but you can play. We had a we had an electric piano. That thing was big and heavy. We had an electric, and I, I can't remember where we got it, but we had it. And it had a switch that made the bottom end of the keyboard sound like a bass guitar. And I said, man, I can't play bass. I can now. But he said, I, I said, I can't play bass guitar. He said, yeah, but you could play the bass end of this keyboard. You can make it sound like a bass guitar. And that's what I did. But my dad never gave me a choice. He's like, uh, yeah, we need it. You're going to do it. And my dad's <laughs> like, yeah, you're going to do it. And so I, I ended up being a very good bass player, playing the bass end of this keyboard, man. I would play scales and runs and and fills and do all this stuff. And you could not tell that we didn't have a bass player because I made it sound like we had a bass player. And so you, you just, my dad knew that I could do it. He had incredible confidence in me. And so now nothing phases me. I'll tell you a quick story. A couple weeks ago, we were at church. It wasn't my Sunday to play keyboard. But I always carry headphones in my suit pocket. I, I still wear a suit and tie to church. Just, it's just the way, I, you know. Yeah. 
you know, when you look like this from the neck up, you got to overcompensate from the <laughs> neck down. So, I mean, it's, but I, but, but I always stick headphones in my pocket. We got to a point in our service and I go to a, I go to a Pentecostal church. I go to an apostolic Pentecostal church. We got to a point in our service that a good friend of mine felt led to sing. And our pastor has got incredible confidence in him. I was praying with an elder in our church, encouraging them. He taps me on the back and tells me what he wants to do. And I spend the next hour or so playing keyboard. I wasn't prepared to play. I wasn't on the schedule, Yeah, but I got tapped in. And, and, and so I, I have, my dad taught me how to always be prepared to serve. Be prepared to make an impact because at some point you never know when your number is going to get called and you're going to make that impact. So that was a long way to get to what you were asking, but that's how my mind works sometimes. <laughs> that's all right. It's good. That's what we're here to hear your story. So, uh, so then how did that, like, did you have any moments? Do you specifically remember giving your life to Christ or was there like a, you know, just, yeah, it was, it was a Sunday this, night, Yeah, Sunday night, November the 1st, 1981. That's so I remember. It, I remember well. Yeah, it'd be forty years coming up next as we record this next week, next Monday. Yeah. So I don't want to think about it. The nineties were just yesterday. Yeah. I, I, well, yeah. <laughs> I graduated in nineteen ninety. Tell me about uh, it. Man. It was ninety five, and we got married in ninety seven. It feels like yesterday, but yeah, we got well. My, my wife and I got married in ninety six. But you know, again, um, I just knew that that for me. Um, I, I was at that age of accountability where I knew right from wrong. And I knew that I didn't want to not, not go to heaven. Yeah. And, and, you know, even and, and, and Eric, I, I'm 49 years old now. I still make sure every day that I find myself in a place of repentance because I don't want to not go to heaven. Yeah. I want to see my dad again. I want to see my grandparents who I've never met. I want to see aunts and uncles that are there that I miss. I, I want to go. I want to see my mm -hmm. wife's grandparents again. I want to go. And so I want to make sure that my heart and my mind and my spirit is ready. We were talking before we recorded, we, we went to church with a girl that passed away very suddenly over the weekend. And it makes you, and it reminds you, and I, I've gone through that losing my dad suddenly yeah. like that. I tell my son, I tell my wife every day, the number one thing you've got to do every day is be ready to meet the Lord. If you're if you're prepared, listen, we see all the stuff that's happening on the news and things like that. People are, are crying about empty shelves and supply chain issues and what are we going to get our kids for Christmas and things like that. If you're not ready to meet the Lord every day, everything else that you prepare for in your life doesn't matter. Right. Because the Bible says that life is but a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And so in my mind, I want to be ready to meet the Lord. At any moment and any time, I want to make sure that my heart and my mind and my spirit, the Apostle Paul said it again, I die daily. Yeah. The Apostle Paul lived a life of repentance. And so again, I want to be ready to meet the Lord at any given moment. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay, so I know that you've had some significant moments where the Lord kind of deepened, I'm gonna say deepened your faith, you know? Yeah. It, it particularly say meeting your wife was kind of a kind of a big deal. Tell me that story. Yeah, so um 
my wife and I met on, on a blind date. My best friend, I went to a Christmas party, my best friend. And he said, man, you need a girlfriend. You're hanging out with me. You're cramping my style. You need a girlfriend. <laughs> and his fiance at the time, he said, hey, would you like to go out with this girl named Tanya? Yeah, we'll go out with Tanya. Eric, we go on our first date. And, man, I got to tell you this. I look, you mentioned the 90s. I looked like Vince Gill's little illegitimate brother. <laughs> I had on a blue sport coat, a little brighter blue than the shirt I'm wearing today. I had a banded collared shirt on. I had a black suede vest. I had black jeans. I had cowboy boots on that I borrowed from Buddy. I never wore cowboy boots. <laughs> but yet, I had on boots. I thought, man, I'm going to dress to impress. My wife barely spoke to me that night on our first date. And I thought, and I was charming. I was nice. I thought, man, okay, let's chalk it up. So the next morning, and, and I had some good friends of mine that I sang in a, in a Southern gospel group with a couple of different times, and, and they were going to go sing that night, and they were like, hey, why don't you come with us? We'll sing a few songs. I was like, yeah, cool. Well, my best friend Chris calls me, and he goes, hey, man, Tanya wants to know if you're going to meet up later tonight. She wants, you know, you regardless of how you think the night went, she thought it went real well. I'm like, yeah, why not? And so that, that next night <laughs> so we got she, together. So she was enjoying it, but she just wasn't saying anything. She wasn't talking. My wife anything. was very shy. She was oh, the wow. ultimate introvert. Yeah. Okay. She was the ultimate introvert. And, um, so we got together and we had a, a nice time and about three 30 in the morning, technically on new year's day, we had our first kiss. So I go and pick her up. And I'm like, well, let's go out on a real date. Just me and you, I'll take you to a nice restaurant. So I, I, I go to her house to pick her up, and, her, and I hadn't met her mom yet. So her mom's sitting down talking, and she goes, I had to ask you a question. It's okay. She said, did your grandfather die in church? And I'm like, yeah, as a matter of fact, he did. No joke, she leans forward, and she goes, I thought so. <laughs> she said, I was there the night your grandfather Sexton passed away in church. She said, I was 14 years old. And she said, I thought that was, I thought you were related to them. So let me tell you that story. My dad was the youngest of 12 kids. My oldest uncle was 28 years older than my dad. I have cousins that are older than my dad. Wow. And um, my, my dad was four at the time. So it was 1957. My dad was four at the time. My grandparents, ironically, lived about a quarter of a mile from where I'm talking to you from right now. So where I live now, my grandparents lived at the end of the road. So when you come, when you come down our, our road and you make a left to go to my house, they lived on that corner. And as you pass getting to that stop sign, it's a, it's a T kind of stop sign, there's a little Baptist church there called Hebron Baptist Church. And so my grandfather had not been in good health for a year or so due to some strokes and things like that. And so they, to, to get them to, to keep them faithfully going to church, they would just walk across the street to the little church across the street. No big deal. I found out later that my wife's grandfather, who we lived next door to, who just, he passed away last year at 98. He was 98 years old. Wow. Passed away last year. 
my wife's grandfather ministered to my grandfather when he was sick. He would go visit him, take him flowers, take him, you know, just visit him, check in on him. My grandfather was blown away. My, my wife's grandfather told me, he said, your grandfather was blown away that people would think enough of him to come and visit and check in on him, care about him. Wow. So when my grandfather felt well enough, he went to church. They asked him to pray that night. My wife's grandfather was sitting in front of him. My grandfather was sitting behind him. My grandfather stands up to pray and collapses and dies. Wow. Right there in the church. Ironically, 39 years later, my wife and I got married in that same little church. Oh, wow. And so there was nowhere else I was going to marry her but there because of that was the last place that my grandfather was. Her grandparents were deacons there. Her grand her grandfather was a deacon there for close to 70 years. So there wasn't really... Now, my pastor married us, but there was nowhere else we were going to get married but that little church. Yeah, you, your families both had deep connections there. And we didn't know each other. My That's wife and wild. I had never met. We had never met in our lives. Yeah. That's wild. So you were, you were totally connected. Your families were connected. Not not in that, uh, you know, West Virginia. Yeah, and my father-in-law would tell me. Yeah, my father-in-law would tell me. He's like, hey, I used to go play with your uncles and things when we were wow. kids. That's crazy. Because he would ask me about my uncles. He's like, how's your Uncle Walt? And I'm like, yeah, they're, they're good. And, you know, he said, yeah, we used to run around when we were kids. That's wild. Well, that's yeah, pretty great. Yeah, it's pretty wild. That's pretty it's great. Pretty, it's pretty wild, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. That's a really amazing story. Okay. So, so, I mean, how do you, where do you see God in all that? I mean, obviously he was kind of, he was kind of leading you through all that. How, how do you see all that? That God will go to the ends of the earth to put you with the person that you want to be, that you're supposed to be with. Yeah. That God's the ultimate connector. I talk a lot about it. You mentioned my book, People Buy From People. It's a book about connection. But then you realize that God's the ultimate connector, right? Because he puts people in situations, and, and man, listen, I'll tell you this. You you so graciously allowed me the opportunity to have you on the podcast, and I'm grateful for that. But when I think about the people that I've had on my podcast, I'm blown away who God has put in my path and who God continues to put in my path. Yeah, And so that's why I say, Eric, is... The Lord's the ultimate connector because he just sends people to you at the right times, at the right places, and in the right seasons of your life. Yeah, and I think part of the key is just being open to that, right? Just being open that, yeah. that this is what God, you know, just being open to when God will connect with somebody and saying yes. You know, that's certainly a been a theme in my yeah, life absolutely. Where, where he's did that. Is there a time when you've said yes to the Lord um, or to go in some place that didn't make sense, but then opened up like something that unexpected. In December of 2013, I'll tell you this story. In December of 2013, I had a job that that I traveled. I covered a six-state territory for a company, so I was gone three nights a week, every week. And we happened to have a revival at our church a particular week, and for some reason, I was going to be home that week. And so I told my, my, my pastor came to me. He said, you, you in town this week? And I said, as a matter of fact, I am. He said, good, you're playing keyboard. I'm like, all right, cool. It was a Monday night. 
And the Lord had been dealing with me about the call to preach. And we had a, a an evangelist there, a seasoned man of God, just a, an incredibly deep man. I, I just, we were with him the day before eating dinner with him, and he was just talking and telling stories, and I was just captivated, and I was fascinated by his uncommon obedience. Eric, I'll never forget, I'm sitting there on the keyboard. I'm getting ready to go down. And he looks at me and he said, you're running from the call of God on your life. Looked at me like I'm looking at you, except he's five feet away from me. Oh, man. He said, you're running from the call of God on your life. And God had been dealing with me about preaching. Because I, because here's the thing. Growing up when I was a kid, people would come to me and they would say, man, you're going to be a preacher. You're going to do this. They were comparing me to different people. And I was real resistant to it because I, I, I had one thing about me in my life, Eric. I had always fought to be my own man because people compared me to my dad. I'm the oldest of three. I'm the only boy out of the bunch. And people would just compare. That's why I wear contact lenses and a beard because I look you know, without it. I look just like my dad. And it, it, anytime that I shave and I put my glasses on, my wife is like, "Oh no, 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 no." no. But I was all. I always had had fought so hard to be my own man. But God was saying to me, "Look, I've got more for you to do. I've got I've got so much more for you to do." And I ran from it. So the next day, a good friend of mine called me. He was in that service and he said, think you know what you need to do now? I said, yeah, I need to surrender wow. to the calling of God on my life. And it's been awesome. You know, I, 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 listen, man, I'll tell you this, even before I surrendered, I knew that God was taking me in different directions. The first Father's Day after my dad passed away, Father's Day of 2013, I actually preached in my dad's church. Wow. I did really good until I saw a picture of him over in the corner of my eye. And then I was like, oh, no, I, I kind of put blinders up like I got to keep it together because I was still emotionally vulnerable. I, I mean, it was yeah, the sure. first Father's Day without my dad. Of course. You know, and we always made a point even even and I didn't go to church with my dad. I, you know, I worked with my dad before he passed. And I said, look, I love you. I work with you, but I'm going to stay here at my church. You. And I would go down and help and things like that. We would go for special services, but every Father's Day I would go down there to their church. That you know, it was just I'm like, okay, I'm gonna come and honor my dad. Yeah. And so that first Father's Day without him was that was just wow. yeah, it was it was rough. But I had done a little bit of preaching, kind of just dipping my toe in the water, but it was in that moment that somebody was like, You need to go, you, you need to you need to really surrender to it now. Yeah, and go after Where'd that take you? Back to my dad's church to preach, um, preaching at my church. Um, it really taught me the value of study, mm, and yeah. it really taught me the value of having something that isn't that having something to say. It, you know what it did, Eric? It really taught me the value of intentionality. It really taught me that in those 20 or 25 minutes that I get to preach the word of God, I need to be on target with every word. 
Yeah, because you, you don't have a lot of space, right? Like you've got to you got to make exactly. every, everyone count. Exactly. There are certainly preachers that don't know that, but it's uh, a whole other story. Uh, Brian, I'm my dad's my, one of my dad's pastors. My dad would always say that he had a pastor that said. 20 minutes is just right for a good message and too long for a bad one. Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. You know, yeah, I grew up in kind of that school where it was like, listen, we, you, we got to have more teaching, right? More Bible. That's, that's yeah. going to be the only thing that's going to fix everything. And then, well, listen, I'll, I'll name drop a little bit. My good buddy, Al Robertson, who is a member of the duck dynasty bunch. Oh yeah. He always talks about going to preaching school. And I told him one time, I said, dude, I could have never gone to preaching school because my mind wouldn't have honed in like that. My mind would have been, I'd have been in, I would have been off in left field somewhere, man. I said, I don't know how you ended up going to what you call, they call seminary preaching school. So, you know, well, and that's the, that's kind of the point, right? Like, so we kind of get taught to do that, but here's the thing. Most people, man, all I need on Sunday, I need one point. I don't need four points. I need one point. Give me one thing to take away. But anyway, that's a whole exactly. other uh, philosophy that I've got that we could share some other time. Um, what I'm, I'm the other thing I want to ask you, Brian, I always ask this is about, is about the, the spiritual on the spiritual journey. We all have these moments where, uh, some people call it hitting the spiritual wall, going through the spiritual desert, feeling like God's far away. You know, you kind of have that crisis where you like had to surrender. Um, but did you ever have a moment where you felt like, you know, you kind of went through a spiritual desert of any kind. The previous year. Okay. December 6, 2012, the day I lost my dad. Mm. Um, because my dad and I had kind of put a long-term plan together. As I mentioned, we worked together. My dad even said something to me one day. We were riding in the car together. He said, you might pastor my church one day. I, I just, I never considered the gravity of that moment. But yeah. Mm. You know, that day for me, you know, my dad was supposed to teach a Bible study at his church. Here's the thing, Eric, I'll say. I found myself, I did something, I look back and I I have to chuckle at the way I acted. I was trying to reason with God on things he already knew. (laughs) So here's here's what I mean by that. I was was trying to, to wrap my mind around it and pray and I said, the, so So here's a couple of things that happened that day. I was in Boone, North Carolina working. I was in my hotel room. My sister calls me and gives me the news. I look up and I'm distraught. And I look up at the ceiling and I said, but God, we had a plan. Hmm. Remember the Lord spoke to my heart and said, you can praise me when things are good, but can you praise me when your world's falling apart? Yeah. In that moment, I had to lift my hands and say, God, you're good. The second moment, out of that was, again, grief is a pretty powerful thing. I started reasoning with the Lord. I said, but God, you know, it's, you know, I'm okay with losing my dad, but you took the, their church as pastor, but Lord, he was supposed to teach a Bible study this Sunday. I'm trying to reason <laughs> with the Lord. Like he didn't know all these things already. Yeah. Like, like, like the Lord saying, oh, Brian, you're right. You know, I, I didn't realize that. Let me fix this situation. Sorry about that. My bad. I was in, in that moment trying to reason with the Lord on things he already knew. But what I learned in that moment was everything in 40 years my dad was preparing me for was for that moment. 
Mm. When on that Monday, I got up in front of 500 people and I told my dad's story. I talked about the three things that my dad taught me to do. He taught me to love, he taught me to work, and he taught me to serve. I had purposed in my heart, Eric, that in that moment, nobody was going to speak for my family but me. I was the oldest of three. My mom kind of put things in my lap. And I said, okay, that's fine. My, you know, my dad always taught me when you get the ball, run with it. Take, you know, if nobody else wants the ball, you take the ball. Yeah. And, and Eric, in that moment, nobody else wanted the ball. And so I knew what my dad had prepared me for was that moment. And so when I stepped up with my Bible in hand, I knew that it was my moment to talk about my relationship with my dad. But it was also to encourage people that we were going to be okay. I didn't realize it in that moment, but the, the, the clarity of time, stepping back into that moment, I realize now what was happening. I got to share this with you. Real quick, I got to share yeah, this with yeah. you. The week before, my dad passed away on Thursday. The week before, we had a death in our church. And it was my pastor's mother. She passed away. And so, you know, I get to my pastor. At that time, I'm serving in a different capacity. I'm kind of serving as um, a little bit of chief of staff, if you will, but overseeing greeting and support. You know, I was... I was real working real closely with my pastor. And he told me on Monday, he said, listen, I, I need you there for me Thursday night. He said, not only is this my mom, but I'm going to have to be pastor. I'm going to have to do a lot. Of, he said, I need you to keep me focused. Help me, help me stay focused. Stay close to me. I said, man, you got it. So I called my dad. I said, this is how I'm going to travel this week. I'm going to travel Monday and Tuesday. I'm going to be home Wednesday and Thursday. And um, I got a hold of my pastor's dad, and he and my dad were really good friends. They'd been friends for over 40 years. And um, so he told me in that week, he said, please have your dad be there. for." He said, I really want to see your dad. Ha have your dad be there. I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. So I implored on my dad. My dad said, okay, I'll be there. Eric, I can still see my dad coming into the church, hmm. paying his respect to the casket, and embracing Ron, my pastor's dad. I can still see this. I'm three feet away from him, and I'm watching all this happen. A week later, my dad passes away. I had no idea it was going to happen. Right. The first person I got a hold of besides my wife was Ron. He told me something. He said, Brian, God never makes a mistake. You're not going to understand it now. He just buried his wife the week before of over 40 years. He said, God never makes a mistake. You won't understand it today, but you'll understand it later. Trust me. I said, okay. And he said, I'm going to be there for you and your dad like you were there for me. We get to the service on Monday. We're out in the parking lot. And Ron looks at me and he said, son, if you need a dad, I'll be a dad to you. Wow. And I said, man, thank you. Nine months later, Ron marries my mom. Oh, no. Oh, wow. He literally became a dad to me. 
That's amazing. We, my mom came to church with us. She, they talked because they knew each other. They started talking more about their grief and, and they just connected and yeah, they got, they got married. So God has a way. God always has a way of being in control of a situation when it seems like the situation is out of control. And, and I can tell you that situation that I just explained to you was totally out of control. But God just brought it back into control. He always does that. So that's a spiritual desert that I walked through. I was in a fog for about three weeks. I got one, one other thing real quick that's, that's very important. I was so much in a fog because I was trying to do my job and my dad's job. I was trying. I was going down and helping their church. I was carrying a lot of load that my dad would have carried. I was so burdened. I, I, I literally felt a heaviness on me. A friend of mine called and checked on me. I was in Virginia working. And he said, how are you doing? I said, I feel like I'm in a fog. Mm. On Thursday, I was, or Thursday or Friday, I was praying. I said, Lord, I want to have a dream about my dad. It's, it's Saturday night into Sunday. I have a dream. And let me tell you what was in that dream. I dreamed that my dad and I were in a warehouse. And I had my back to my dad. And I asked my dad, I said, where are you going this week? And he starts naming our customers. And the realization hits me. And I said, but you're not here anymore. I turned around and my dad slipped out a door to his left. And I'm about 20 feet away and I sprint for that door. And my dad is standing with the doors of his company van open and there's things inside. My dad's standing there and he turns and looks at me and he has tears in his eyes. And he said to me, he said, son, I didn't want to leave. I said, I know you didn't. And I looked back at him and I had tears in my eyes, Eric. And I said, dad, I'm trying. He said, I know you are son. And with that, I woke up. But when I woke up at about 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning and I had tears streaming down my face, my wife said, are you okay? I said, I am now. That heaviness lifted off me. Wow. That burden lifted off of me. That pressure that I felt lifted off of me. And I still carried some of that for a while trying to keep my dad's legacy alive. But last year, a friend of ours saw me, ironically, at a funeral. And the Lord used him, and he looked at me. Mike looked at me, and he said, Brian, it's time for you to be your own man. You've done a good job. You've done a great job carrying your dad's legacy. But now it's time for you to be your own man. And those two things helped me understand where God was taking me. And how he had used those things in my life to take me from that moment to this. Mm, okay. Well, yeah. So that's what the spiritual desert does, right? It it helps us identify all the things that we are uh, adding and, and holding on to and identities that we've taken on, sometimes unconsciously. Um, and that we that we the burdens that we carry, as you say, right? Like that, like you it sounds like you tried to take on this basically the responsibilities of your dad, right? The things that he did. he was doing. Yeah, I did. And and you had to kind of, sounds like, let some of that go so that you could be who you are, 
which is yeah. also what the spiritual desert does. It gives us our uh, the our real identity. God uses it to tell it, say, no, no, this is who you are. Yeah, and this is this is who I need you to be in the world. So, who was that for you? Like when when you if you put that in one sentence or two, who who did you learn that you have to be? Brian, an intentional encourager. Yeah, and I'm gonna tell you something, man. The Lord called me to to ministry of encouragement 15 years ago. Problem was, I was like Jonah and ran from it. Because I'm going to tell you something for, for people listening. They're going to say, Brian, encouragement's easy. No, encouragement's hard because you're going to give a lot more than you get than you take in. Right. And so in, in our society today, Eric, a lot of people don't want to do that. If if here's how we're wired today. If we make a post and we don't have 150 reactions or we don't get the the juice, I had a guy on my, my podcast getting me Ed Lattimore. He said he said engagement is the new cocaine. And yeah. I, I totally agree with that. But encouragement is something there there are there are three points to encouragement. I got I gotta share this with your audience real quick. There are three points to encouragement. Be specific, be timely, and be intentional. Be on target. Tailor that encouragement to that person. If you do those things, then anybody can be an intentional encourager, Christian or not. Anybody can be an intentional encourager. And our world needs encouragement now more than it's ever needed it before. Yeah, absolutely. So when did you start your show? Is that how you started your show? Was it around that time? So my show started in in uh, April of, of 2020. And the first episode, I told my dad's story. My dad was the original intentional encourager. As I mentioned, my dad gave me incredible confidence. He always encouraged me. And so... Uh, people have been telling me I need to do a podcast. I've done live radio uh, off and on for the last 19 years here in the Huntington area. I have a good friend of mine that does a morning talk show. He's a conservative Christian and does a morning talk show, and I filled in for him over the years. And uh, people said, you need to do a podcast. And I'm like, what am I going to do it on? Sales, sports? But I looked on LinkedIn one day where I like to hang out, and I saw a lot of expertise but very little encouragement, and I knew I could solve that problem. Wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and it is, it is a great show and is absolutely encouraging. Thank you, man. That's an honor coming from you. I, I know what you've done in, in podcasting. And uh, man, I'll say this. I, the Lord has blessed me with so many friends like you, a uh, guy, like, guy like Jason Romano, who does the Sports Spectrum mm -hmm. podcast. It's the intersection of sports and faith. Jason oh, worked at ESPN for 17 years, and God put our past together. I mentioned Al Robertson. They do the Unashamed podcast. Uh, with Phil and Jace Robertson. Al has been a, a friend and a mentor. Um, man, I could go on and on about people that have blessed me with their expertise, you included. And, you know, I'm just grateful that God chooses little old me and little old West Virginia to connect with so many powerhouses like yourself. Yeah, I love that. Well, you know, you're you're from an area of influence, right? So you've it's, it's only natural to... Uh to connect with, with influencers. I love that. Okay. So you, uh, you did a really good job giving us kind of that framework of encouragement. What, what do you think is something that kind of everybody can do? Like our, our listeners, somebody comes to their mind right now. I need to encourage that person. Maybe they felt that nudge before and haven't done it, or maybe they're like feeling it now and like, okay, what can I do? How do you, what, what's your advice to them? Man, there are more ways than ever before to encourage people. If you have a cell phone, you're an encourager. 
I don't know anybody that doesn't have a cell phone. I, I know one guy. I know one guy. He's a great friend of mine. We went to church together. I helped win him to the Lord 35, 36 years ago when I was a teenager. He has a flip phone. <laughs> he does not text. In fact, I was I was teasing his daughter yesterday on Facebook. I said, in the name of Jesus, we're going to teach him to text. <laughs> because, you know, it's, it, you know, he... He had to do some training for for his company, and they asked him. They said, "Well, we'll you know use the mouse." And he said, "Well, if we got a mouse here. We got to kill it." <laughs> he was telling me about having a tablet, and I said, "Man, don't swallow that thing. Right? Don't do that." You know. But if you've got a cell phone, you can be an encourager. Here's how: voice text people. Let me tell you what that might sound like. If I'm if I'm encouraging you and, and I'm I might I might send you a voice text and I might say, Eric, hey, it's Brian. Man, I was just thinking about you today. And here's what I've been praying for you that God would just open doors for you. Or I might know something or I might feel something in my spirit. Be specific, like I mentioned a minute ago. You know, just don't say, Hey man, thought about you today. No, be specific. Use their name. If you were gonna call them. Username. And by the way, call people. That's a great way to encourage somebody. Text them with a with a word text. If you're social me, if you're on social media together, send them send them a, a DM or something like that. But make it about them. Make it something that will help them. Take yourself out of it. Make it about them. Because we have too many people today like to cut and paste. Don't do that. You be specific with that encouragement. And pray before you do that. Pray before you encourage somebody. Because God may reveal something to you that they need at that particular moment. And it doesn't have to be a 10-minute deal. You can send a short text of encouragement that will light somebody up. Yeah. Yeah, and like you said... Most people don't get that, right? That's just the world is, you know, we're always told about the things that we need to be or the things that we, we, where we're not enough, right? So yeah. if you can encourage somebody, let them know that, uh, you know, you're thinking of them and, and that they're valuable to you. Oh, man. That's that, right. That right there goes a really long way, um, you know. So I love that. Um, I don't want to keep you too long, Brian. Thanks so much for sharing your story. P friends, you can find Brian at, uh, well, the website is, well, the, the podcast is. We don't have a website. Uh, you, no, you, are you kidding me, man? I live in West Virginia. Come on. We don't have a website. Brian, no. we, we got to work on that, but that's okay. I but know. You, well, you have, here. It's the intentional yeah. encourager. So friends, you can just flip over in your podcast app and find it. You can also Google it and I know you'll find it. Well, let me, let me tell you a couple of different ways you can connect with me as well. You can connect with me on Twitter at Brian Sexton 13. Um, you can also, can, you can also find me on Facebook. If you put the intentional encourager, it, it will pop up. Um, you can connect with me there. Um, if you connect with me there, mention that you heard me on the halfway there podcast, that'll help me out. Cause I'm, I'm getting more requests than I can, that I can handle. Um, Let's see. I'm on LinkedIn at Brian Sexton MBA. I'm not on TikTok or Instagram because I have a deal with my 21 year old that those, <laughs> you know, I, I'm staying off of those platforms. But again, as you mentioned, and we've got a YouTube channel. So every podcast will have video attached with it. So you can go back and watch 
episodes. I'd, I'd highly encourage you to watch episode 173 with Eric Nebbins. That's a great one. Um, but if you search in YouTube and subscribe to that, um, just the Intentional Encourager podcast. And again, your favorite podcast app, yeah. Intentional Encourager podcast. Well, I love it. I definitely linked to that episode and your show and your book in the show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com. So friends, you can find Brian. Brian, thanks so much for being here. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Encouraged people are empowered people. If you spend your first part of your day encouraging yourself first. We talked about how you can encourage others. You can't pour into someone from an empty bucket. Encourage yourself first. Christians, that's prayer. That's that's communing with the Lord. That's listening to good music. That's reading, maybe reading your Bible. Reading, I would read in the Bible, but reading reading a devotional, doing a devotional, something that encourages you. Get encouraged every day, the first thing in your day. Because if you'll get encouraged and stay encouraged, you can move mountains, you can slay giants, you can do and be what God has intended you and called you to be. But it starts with encouraging yourself first. Yeah, absolutely. Lots to say about that, but that will do it. Thanks, Brian, for being here. I really appreciate it. Eric, you're the best, man. Thank you so much.